Well, we again would like to welcome everyone here, and I'd like to start this morning with a scripture reading. In Isaiah 25, chapter 25, verses 8 and 9, there's a prophecy to the Jewish nation of Israel. The Messiah would swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away every tear from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth. And the Lord has spoken. And it will be said in that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. He, we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. The fulfillment of that prophecy we find in another Jewish book, but now in the New Testament of Matthew, in the beginning of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, at the first day of the week, began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, and the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. And I might say the door wasn't open so Jesus could get out. He was already gone. It was open that they could see in. And it's interesting, they came to anoint his body. They weren't coming to see a resurrected Jesus, even though he plainly told them that he would raise again. They were coming with an anointing oil, but then this angel is there sitting on the tomb. I, I wonder if he's uh, whittling or something. He seems like he's very nonchalant. But his countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. The Gospel of Luke chapter 24, to interrupt the story, I'll go back to Matthew in a second. It says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, and they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. So there was one angel, and then another one showed up after that. And Luke adds that there were two of them. And they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth. And they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? This is what they asked the angels. And they said to him, He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day will rise again. We're going back to Matthew 28, picking up in verse 5 through 8. But the angel answered and said to the woman, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, as he says. Come and see the place where the Lord lay, where he did lay. <laughs> now go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. Indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There, there you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. That word great joy, it's actually two different words. And uh, it, it's, it's an escalation that really can't even be explained. They, they went out beyond, uh, sort of out of their mind with joy. And they ran to bring the news to his disciples. Wow. What an amazing story. The greatest day in all of human history that ever will be the greatest day. It'll never be topped. In all of human history, this moment when they finally understood that the Lord who was crucified is now risen. I'd like to read a passage out of 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says in verse 3 and 4, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And he says, this is the gospel. You cannot take away from these three essential things. Now, you could add to it if you want. You could embellish it and say, you know, talk about 
uh, the details of his death and the cross and the piercing and, and all of this. But you, you cannot take away the torturous crucifixion of Christ if you want to share the gospel. Because our sins are wicked and need punishment. Rightly so. We need that punishment. And Jesus took that punishment upon himself. He was buried for three days. It wasn't a ten minute later resurrection. It wasn't that he died and an hour later he came back to life. It was three days that he was clearly dead and inside a tomb. And then he rose again from the dead. Now what's interesting is the Corinthian church decided to create their own Jesus and their own gospel. And it goes on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 19, where they were saying Christ didn't raise from the dead, and it really wasn't necessary uh, to the story. <laughs> Amazing. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty or in vain. And your faith also is empty or in vain. Yes, we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not evidently raise up, if in fact he did not raise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, listen to this, if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, which is the term, who have died to go to be with the Lord, have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Because Christianity is, is surrendering our life, serving our fellow man, laying down our life to not have the pleasures now in this life, but looking for the reward and the pleasures in the life to come. So we're willing to sacrifice now. Well, Paul ends here in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 44 to 57, some of the latter verses. So when this corruptible, referring to our bodies, has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall we be brought to pass saying what is written, that death is swallowed up in victory. I read that earlier in Isaiah 25 in our scripture reading. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, hell, eternal damnation, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin. Men will die separated from God because their sin condition is not taken care of because they didn't believe in the one way their sin condition could be taken care of through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. So the sting, the power of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But then he ends in verse 57 here. But thanks be to God who always gives us victory. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, illuminate again this passage of Scripture to us today that everybody would ha here have ears to hear and hearts to perceive all that your Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name. Well, you guys can look at the world today. We have the Internet. It's possible. <laughs> we have television. It's possible. You can watch a live stream in any city in the world. You can watch a live stream in Israel right now. There's live streams people have maybe on this park. I don't know. But we understand the condition of the world. And 
The one thing we have noted here in America is that American religion, especially Christianity, is disappearing. It's being replaced with atheism or secularism or sort of a demonic version of Christianity. They're replacing it like the mainline denomination churches are doing and saying, hey, God's not so much against sin anymore. <laughs> um, if it's adultery, then yeah, that God's, God hates that. But if it's homosexuality or transgendered or whatever perversion they choose, God is a hero rooting for such things to be done and to be accepted. And a matter of fact, those who are practicing such things should be the pastors of our church. And indeed they are throughout America. It's interesting to think back after the end of World War II. It had been for hundreds of years up to that point. Not hundreds, but over well over 100 years, getting close to 200 years. That 75% of America called themselves a Christian and went to church every Sunday. I, I remember as a kid, the, our neighborhood was empty. If we had anything to steal, that would have been a good time for the thieves, but it would have been a waste of time. TVs were too big to carry out those days, and they were black and white, too. But our whole neighborhood disappeared, and they all went to their church. Well, by 1960, the year I was born, it was still 70%. It had gone down a little bit after the wartime. In 2019, before the COVID, which is sort of important, somewhere around 45%, some say 48%, little under 50% of America called themselves religious. Now, this is no longer just Christianity. This includes the Muslim, the Jews, the cults, everything lumped in together. That anybody that worshipped any god whatsoever was a little under 50%. And over 50% of America stayed in bed on the day of worship, whether that's Saturday or Sunday or whatever. Well, after the COVID, in 2023, out of that 48%, 28% did not return to church. So any kind of religion where people worship weekly has gone from 75% in 1945 to 20% now in our current situation. When you look at England, which Christianity disappeared, I don't know if you heard just a couple of weeks ago, that the official religion, if you look statistically, mathematically, of England, of the UK now, is the Muslim religion. There's more people worshiping Allah in the mosque than there are Christians. And a matter of fact, the churches are being sold by the hundreds in the UK. Every single year being turned mainly into bars. I saw one turn into a skate park. I mean, the coolest looking skate park, you know, just magnificent. Grieve my heart. Mostly nightclubs and bars. Mosques, many mosques are being turned into. In America, 20%. Now, you say, well, 20%. Well, who's ah, having that 20%? Well, not so fast. <laughs> in 1976, 200 year anniversary of our country, 40% of American Christians believe the Bible to be actually true, factual, the Word of God. Today, I'll just tell you that it's a very, very small percent of the 20%, which really, the whole 20% isn't Christians. It's Muslims and Jews and whatever. But of the Christians that go to church, most of them believe the Bible is a fable. That it's not really accurate. And so churches that are conservative like ours um, really are not American. A church that is openly LP, LBG, plus, minus, whatever, 
with the big giant flag. saying the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is our banner, <laughs> is what America desires. Yeah, that's the truth. You're saying, man, we, how do we go from celebration to this? The point I want to make is that America is the last stand of Christianity in the world. And the fact is, is that the Bible said that it would do this very thing worldwide before the coming of Christ. Matter of fact, in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, he says, don't be deceived. He tells the church that people were saying things opposite of Paul. And he actually says, if you get a letter written from me that says something different than what I told you when I was with you, it's not really from me. It's hoaxers trying to get you to believe something different. That he actually says there that the day you will not see the return of Christ until first a falling away of believers happens in apostasia, which is the word apostate, false religion. So in Second Timothy, he says, no, there's going to be a lot of religious people, but they don't have the truth. They, they believe the lies. They, they seek after teachers who will tickle their ears and they do not have an appetite for the truth. The truth will anger them, not bless them. Paul in Hebrews 10.25 says, Knowing this, if you find yourself in the last days, which we are, he says the number one thing that's going to happen is you're going to see the mannerism of many will stop assembling together as Christians. And he says, don't you be one of them. The fact is, is that it's not worth it to most people to go to church on Sunday morning. They always have great excuses for something other. And I, I'm not saying be convicted or be condemned or feel bad or change your ways. I'm not saying any of that. I just want you to know the facts that what we are doing right now will probably be illegal in a very short time. Meeting in a public park, talking openly about Christ, will not be tolerated. And uh, it'll probably start with communities being upset and then go into some kind of, of law because the majority of America doesn't like Christianity. And if they do like a Christianity, it's a form of Christianity that's apostate. It does not go along with the truth of 2,000 years of what Christians have taught. Now, there's an interesting article. You have to look it up. But the Los Angeles Times, one of the greatest proclaimers of truth, had an op-ed in 2021 that said this. Why America's record of godlessness, not godliness, godlessness, is good news. You know what they're trying to say, right? The good news is not Christianity. But godlessness is the good news for our nation. This is the title. Why America's record of godlessness is good news for the nation. Now, this professor goes on to say the most ludicrous things that nobody would believe. But he says that most crime is because of Christianity. And, and soon, and that he has documented, whether it's other countries or certain areas of the country where Christianity is basically not there, it's the safest place to live. Anybody believe that? I don't think non-Christians believe that. But he goes on to say that, that it's a fact. That the, the, the most prosperous countries in the world are, do not believe in God. And they say they're secular societies. No, they're not. Understand, not believing in God is a theology. It's also a non-profit organization 
that you can get a tax write-off for supporting. You, you, you have a religion in the world. Even if you have no religion in the world, that's a religion of having no religion. Like Bob Dylan said, you're going to serve somebody. And typically, atheism is saying, I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to be my own God. I'm going to direct my own life. I'm not going to feel guilty for doing bad things because I don't want to feel guilty. So therefore, there is no God who I have to give an account to. But they go on to say some of the most ludicrous things in here. They quote, they quote some of the statistics that I just quoted to you, and, and they were cheering them. And they point out that the best things happening in America right now is the freedom of homosexuality, to adopt kids, to live as homosexuals. And then he says the real greatest thing is the transgender movement. And, and, and any society that tries to stop that is, is going to be a society where there's crime, where there's all kinds of horrible things happen, the economy, that if you don't embrace the transgender movement, you are going to be a third world country, basically. And the only ones that are really stopping this are religious people. That secular people are people who are open-minded and receive the, the transition, the evolution of man, basically, that's happening. And, and, and it would be so much better and successful and happy and less crime and gas prices would go down and all of these things if religion would get out of the way, especially Christianity, for the new world to come into existence. Now, this in 2021 was, was an article that was being quoted as if it were the Bible. <laughs> this guy, there's no way in the world that anything this guy said was documented truth. But he claims to have done the research on this and these things are true. When it was simply his opinion at best. So... It would be wrong for me today to come to this community event and to say the most important day in history. We are publicly announcing that the best we can. We know the appetite of America is, in these last days, really doesn't have that appetite to celebrate Jesus or the Bible as truth. And so as I come thinking about this very low spot of our own nation, the very demonic perversion that has spread like fire, especially amongst the youth and the educational system and the government, I was reminded what Jesus said in Matthew 16:18. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Yes, the Bible makes it clear that in the last days there are going to have a hardness of heart in our country, throughout the world, to Jesus. Although his arms are lifted all the day, begging people to be forgiven, begging people to let him watch them, begging people to let him love them. They want to set people free from their sin and guilt and shame. But he says they slap his hand away and rudely speak to him. And that those who will believe the love of the truth, it is going to be a minority, not a majority. And he says the day is coming well, they will no longer listen to any truth, but they will love the lies and they will seek out teachers after their own desires. And in this time, when there is a remnant of Christians throughout the world, is when the Lord is going to return. And he basically says, when you realize you're in the last days, be watchful and serious. 
in prayer. Don't forsake the gathering of the brethren. You need to be a warrior more than you've ever been a warrior. And you're going to have to stand for the truth and it's going to cost you. Liars and imposters, Paul said, are going to grow worse and worse in the church. You're going to have to be fighting Satan in the midst of the lies. But typically, the bottom line is, is people just don't have an appetite for truth. But they have a great appetite for things that are absolutely ridiculous and full of lies. And this day we live in. Martin Luther saw it in Germany in his time in the 1500s. He wrote a a hymn called, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never felling. The embattlement holding strong. Our helper, he... Amidst this flood, the flood of wickedness, of mortal ills prevailing. It says, Lot's righteous soul was vexed every day living in Sodom. That Noah's heart was heavy looking upon planet Earth, whose heart was evil continually. And he says, even though... Our enemy is armed with cruel hate. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. His rage He can endure. We can all endure the rage of men who hate the truth and hate Christ. And Satan's the prince of the power of the air, the Bible says, right there. He doesn't like this. But he goes on to say, his rage we can endure. Oh, lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. The body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Jesus is alive. There's no doubt about that. Though at this time, before the rapture of the church, the world rejects that truth. But as Paul said, you can't pick and choose. The gospel has to be believed in its totality. There's three things I want you to think about today. As we think about Jesus, the cross, his death, his resurrection. Number one is there is no one like him in all of human history. Nobody comes close in comparison, talked about throughout the last 2,000 years of time. This simple carpenter from Nazareth who traveled no more than 90 miles from his hometown of Nazareth, even though when he was a baby, he left Bethlehem to go to Egypt uh, for a short time as a baby. I don't know if he remembers that, but, but outside of that, he himself never traveled more the 90 miles from his own place of birth. He was not a great philosopher. He was not an earthly royal or from a rich family with great advantages. He was not a great educated man, a professor. He wasn't the world's strongest man or a man with the greatest singing voice. But he was very famous and he's known throughout the world to this day a poor, simple preacher from Nazareth. And yet, the entire world's dating system is around his birth. (laughs) These atheistic countries, you know, the great ones like China, North Korea, and Russia, these great countries. The article says, oh, these these are outliers. (laughs) He says, "Don't, don't look at those atheistic countries. The article said they're outliers. They don't really represent the real truth of what a great secular society could produce. But nevertheless, they have to acknowledge 2,023 years ago, there was a little baby born in Nazareth. The Bible says she was a virgin. Angels came to sing. And whether you like it or not, About 2,000 years ago, less than that, 
the entire world's dating system has been set for almost 2,000 years around Jesus. That's a fact. I remember when the Iron Curtain fell, we immediately went in to the Soviet bloc country. We would preach on the streets. And I would often start off and I would say, do you know why the date is today? And these kids that were under communism, they said, because Jesus Christ was born. I'm like, where did you know that? Oh, they taught that in our schools in Russia. (laughs) The, The Russians taught us that. And I'm like, really? And they said, we know there all, we always knew there had to be a God, not because of that, but because lying's wrong, but why? Killing's wrong, why? Rape is wrong, why? Why? Why does everybody know this in the world? How, how is it we all have this common knowledge? It, we had to all be created by the same person. So again, it was interesting there, but the dating system in the world, there is more historical writings on Jesus than any other man in history. Atheistic lawyers and philosophers throughout the 2,000 years understood if they could overthrow the resurrection of Christ and debunk it, they could destroy Christianity. And every notable man that did became a Christian and became an apologist for Christianity The list is long. The New Testament Bible was the very first book printed. And it is the most printed book ever in history. And now that we have, uh, you know, online books and not being printed that much, it will stand throughout. There are other resurrections. Lazarus, you remember, is raised from the dead. Jesus raised people from the dead. The Old Testament people were raised from the dead. But Jesus declared... That his resurrection was not for him because he was eternal. But his resurrection was 100% for us. This is what he says in John 11.25. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. In Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was dead And behold, I am alive forevermore. I want to read that again. Revelation 1.18 I am he who lives, who is dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. The second thing I want to say, the first was there is none like him in all of history. Change the course of history. This simple carpenter, this poor teacher, in a very tiny spot on planet Earth, has left his mark pronounced in human history like no other. The second thing is there is no other way to escape our past and our present sinful condition without Jesus. All religions try to come up with a philosophy or theology that would help you conquer your sin. Most of them by telling you it's not sin. Or telling you you'll be reincarnated and you can do better next as a moth or a bird or whatever. They don't answer the question. 100% of all of us, because God's made us with a conscience, we know we are sinners with a capital S. And the weight of our sin and the guilt and the shame of that sin is crushing us. And 100% of us will die in our sin. And according to the Bible, we'll have to stand before God and be punished for our sin. This is why Jesus came. He gives a clear layout like no other religion in the world on this very point. Matter of fact, in Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death. Eternal damnation, eternal separation from God. But the gift of God, it's a gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All the religions of the world say man's got to strive to reach God and strive to be a better person and strive to stop sinning. And it's on me and I've got to feel guilty and I've got to go and 
get to the confessional. I got to get on my knees and repent. I got to put ash on me and, 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 and be contrite. And this is the way I live, always failing God and failing man and failing myself. And I just need to stay in this sort of uh, broken place. No. Forgiveness of sin, it's a gift of God. How do you receive that gift? By simply believing Jesus did all of the work. We're saved as a gift from God. And it's by having faith in His kindness, His love, His mercy, His grace. That He would do this for us. That we are saved. Not of ourselves. It's not you getting better. I, I, I wish I could say all Christians do become less sin, sinful. It's just not the case. I wish I could say all Christians become amazingly honest people of great character. I think the majority do, but I think there's a lot who don't. But nevertheless, it's not of themselves. It's not of their works. It's a gift from God that salvation and forgiveness of sins come. Isaiah 53 talks about this. For our weaknesses, he carried them. It was our sorrows that weighed upon Jesus, upon him. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten that we might become whole. He was whipped with stripes that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray to our own way. We have left God's path to follow our own path. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all, or as the New Testament say, of the whole world. The third point I want to make. So the first point is there's none like him in all of history, too. There's a reality of our sin and our sin condition weighing upon us and the clock ticking as we get closer to death and the reality that once we die, we're going to have to give an account of what we've done on earth in this body. God's put that truth in every man and the Holy Spirit's in the world convicting every man of that truth. Now you can sear his heart and, and, and try to shut it down. But the third point, if you receive or believe in any part of the story of Jesus, you need to believe it all. <laughs> this is a, a story that's absolutely true. When I was in San Diego as pastoring, there was a harbor with boats that was a big entity and they wanted somebody to come in and start doing Easter services. I don't, I don't know why. Well, the lady that was on that board and also worked there said, "Hey, I can get my church to do it." So they set up the band, or set up the stage, speakers. They spent thousands of dollars, and all we did is show up and do the service. It ended up growing into thousands. But after about five years of this, somebody, you know, the board changes, and they said, "Hey." We, uh, we need to um, still have the Easter service, but we, we can't limit it to just Jesus. And so they sent out, a, they made a memo and said, we'd like an Easter service, but not about Jesus. Now, I, I thought this was hilarious. So I said, we can't miss, mention Jesus at all. Well, you can, remember, you can mention him raising from the dead, but nothing else. Well, you know he has to be dead to get raised from the dead. People are going to sort of ask, why are we celebrating him raising from the dead? Because I think they're going to say, I think his death was maybe sort of important. Well, okay, you can mention he died, but that's it. <laughs> Don't mention blood or the cross. Or This was just hilarious to me. And of course, at that point, we were it was too large for that venue anyway, and we moved... But there are people like that. You know, I, I like the overall story of Jesus. But when you start getting into getting beaten and nails and piercings and blood caked all over his face, he no longer looked human and, and being tortured and his beard being ripped out, people spitting on him. And, you know, this, this is just, you know, I, I don't want to go to anything where you're going to talk about that kind of stuff. It's all important, guys. Third point I want to make is that the story makes no sense and it has no resurrection victory unless you add in all 
of the parts. C.S. Lewis said this in Mere Christianity, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him as God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who is a poached egg, or else he would be a devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, as he claimed, or else a madman, or something worse than a madman. You can shut him up as a fool, you can spit on him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall on, fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that door open to us. He did not intend to. The wonderful story of Jesus, the good news of the salvation, it has to be in totality. The cross of Christ, the death and burial of Christ, and now the celebration of his resurrection. Because it's not about him having life. It's about him giving us life. It's not about him conquering his sin because he had none. The resurrection talks about him conquering our sin. He conquered our sin. He who knew no sin himself became sin for us. This is why he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So when Jesus raised from the dead, we now who believe in him stand righteous as Jesus is righteous. The Bible said when Christ raised from the dead, we shall all now raised from the dead like him. Isn't that great? The Bible said he's the first of what all of us shall be. He was the first fruits of all the rest of us fruits. And all of us fruits who believe on him will stand now, even though, unfortunately, practically, we're in sinful bodies, in a sinful world with a real devil trying to get us to not Glorify Jesus so we fail daily, don't we? But there's no condemnation in that. Where our sin abounds, his grace abounds more. The righteous man falls seven times. He's still called a righteous man. Because his righteousness doesn't come from his life. His righteousness comes from Jesus as a gift. You can't take away any one of these three points. You have to have his death. You have to have the cross. You have to have the spilling of his blood. In Romans chapter 4 verse 25, he has handed over he was handed over to die because of our sins. He was raised to life to make us right with God, to be justified, to be without sin in God's sight. In Hebrews 9:22, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. In 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. John the Baptist looked at Jesus as he began his ministry, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of of the world. You don't have a resurrection without a death. You don't have the death 
without the cross and without blood being shed. Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. He was buried. And he rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. Paul says to the world, even at the time he was speaking, that to the majority of the people, the message was foolishness. It was offensive. He said God gave us a foolish, offensive message. In 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness. To the Jews, it's offensive. To the Greeks or the Gentiles, it's nonsense. But we preach Christ and Him crucified. To those who are called by God to salvation, from the Jews and the Gentiles, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest human plans. And God's weaknesses is stronger than the greatest strength of any human. Those who are spiritual receive these spiritual truths. But those who have the natural mind and harden their heart and want to stay in a natural mind, not a spiritual mind, trying to, trying to ignore the fact that we're spiritual, soulish beings, they will always see it as foolishness. There's no one like him in all of human history. We all have the truth of the weight of our own sinful condition and what other good news is out there of how to take care of that sinful condition. And the third, if you're going to believe part of it, believe all of it. See, this makes the sermon more interesting when I have to go try to find it. Satan doesn't want the conclusion here. Paul says, For I delivered you, first of all, that which is also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scripture, that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present time, but some have fallen asleep or died. Their bodies have fallen asleep. The body went horizontal, literally. They went to heaven. After that, he was seen by James and then all the apostles. How then shall anyone call on him, Jesus, whom they've not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are feet of those who preach the gospel, the good news of peace. The word shalom, peace, is wholeness, healing, completely, in body, soul, and spirit. Those beautiful feet who bring the glad tidings of good news. Without faith, or faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. What shall we say to these things today? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made to salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him, whoever believes on him shall not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There is no salvation without a living Savior. There is no salvation without a Messiah making a way for us through his body. Hebrews 10.10 By that we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ Jesus. Once for all. Hebrews 10.14 For by the one offering, He has perfected forever. Jesus on the cross has perfected forever those He now is sanctifying. God the Father made Him, Jesus the Lamb of God, who knew no sin, 
to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. If you will confess your sins, God will be faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I think the word of the angel that we read in the Matthew passage at the beginning of the service in our scripture reading got it right. He is not here. (laughs) Go see, the tomb is empty. He is risen. Go and tell that Jesus is not in the grave, but that he is alive. That's a great word for all of us, isn't it? And to those who will believe, that word right there will become the wisdom and the power of God. Amen? Well, Lord, some hard-hitting truth here for a community service. (laughs) Either people are going to be greatly offended or greatly rejoice. Either they will be hardened by the truth or they will rejoice in the truth. But it's only by your work, God, that these things can be accomplished. So if you're here today or you're listening by streaming or you hear this sermon 10 years from now in the middle of the tribulation period, just call upon the Lord. Something like this. Jesus, I believe you are the Messiah. I believe you are the prophesied one that would come and take away sin and death. I believe that your death on the cross was a substitution as a lamb of God in my place, that you were punished for the sins that I should have been punished for, that you took all the punishment. There's no punishment left. And by believing in you, not of myself, not of my past self, not of my present self, not of my future self, not of works, but as a gift by believing in you with faith in my heart right now, that I am saved. I believe this. The Bible says the moment you believe, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, that God is waiting in heaven to give you a new name, a new body, and that you will rule and reign with Him forever and ever as His kings, as His priests. I surrender my life and all of us here. Lord, just inscribe upon our hearts now to go tell the world. We realize most of them will be offended. Most of them will be angry. Most of them will reject us. Most of them will remember our name to put us in jail in a couple of years. But to tell them anyway that Jesus is alive. He is alive after conquering sin and death. That is the sins of the whole world. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen.